And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Today's episode of 4 to 6 with A&B is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to 4to6.robinhood.com. That's 4to6.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield or uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. We're back here on four to six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast on the athletic. This is Bill Landis, and on the other line is Ari Wasserman. I promise at some point we will do this podcast together, but we are still apart for this episode. Ari. Give the people an update. Where the hell are you now? I'm in Dallas, and after this podcast is over with, I will be driving to Houston um, to do a story on Donovan Jackson for you guys. So um, I'm really excited. I haven't been in Houston since you and I were in Houston after the national championship game in 2015. Yeah, when we hung out in Tom Herman's office before he got to hang out in his office. Yeah, do you know what Bucky's is? It's like a gas station, right? Yeah, but it's like a gas station the size of a Walmart that has like barbecue and stuff and beef jerky. I have heard of it. I've never been. It is amazing, and I'm eating dinner there, and I want everybody to know that. Wow. 
Is there only one of them, or is it a chain? There's like seven of them, I think, in Texas. But, but they're all in Texas. I also saw a sign that they were making one in Florida, so I'm wondering if it's going to become a chain. Wow. Well, we'll do we'll, we'll do a full breakdown of Bucky's on the on the next episode when uh, you you will be back here next week, right? When we when yeah, we do me the and next you will episode. be together in your. I'm house, actually out of like, town. Are you, <laughs> are you next week? <laughs> no, no, I'm around. I'm out of town okay. the week after that, so we'll do this again. But uh, yeah, we'll be, we'll actually be in the same space next week when we do this podcast. But this one, we are apart. But we can still get the job done. We're going to talk about Ohio State's 2020 offensive depth chart projection. Uh, Ari and I worked on this together. It went up on The Athletic on Tuesday. The defensive depth chart is also up uh, on Wednesday morning. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to dedicate this episode mostly to Ohio State's offense and and where we think it's going and and who we think is going to slot into some important uh, positions that need filled on Ohio State. If you want to read that depth chart and and get the sort of – Source material for what we're talking about here, you can still get subscribed to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash 4-6. You can read both depth charts and everything we have coming for you leading up into spring practice, which is just over a month away. First week of March is when spring practice starts. But before we get to that, Ari, uh, the worst kept secret in Ohio State football over the last month or so was that Kerry Combs was going to come back here and be the defensive coordinator. That was officially announced on Monday after the Titans lost in the AFC Championship game to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, we, we've talked a lot about it. I don't know. Now that it's official, we saw Kerry Combs is out recruiting. He's got his hashtags going again. Any any final thoughts on, on him on bringing Kerry Combs back now that the deal is done? I just think that I've been covering Ohio State for you know a long time, and so have you. And I don't know what it is about this program, man, but it always just seems like whenever there's a loss or, or a coach that leaves or even head coach, there's just somebody waiting right there that's the perfect fit that falls out of the sky. And I, I, I just don't Counterpoint, know. Counterpoint, Bill Davis. <laughs> well, that was a hire. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like, just the idea that this guy who put five first-round draft picks at his position in five years in his first stint um, is just waiting to come back to be the coordinator and, and take over that spot. And, you know, dating all the way back to when Trestle resigned and Urban was waiting in the wings and – it just it seems like a very common thing. And like even with Urban retiring and, and Ryan Day being there. And, you know, maybe that was a little bit of a risk, but um I just cover the sport and and look around and you look around and a lot of the programs that Ohio State is compared to or, or programs that want to be like Ohio State, their number one issue is they don't know who their coach should be. And I just feel like Ohio State has been very fortunate, at least in the past decade, in you know, finding the perfect fits to replace major losses. And I think this is just another example of that. Yeah, I, I think I mostly agree with that. And Kerry Combs, it's there's some consternation, I think, about the titles here. Kerry Combs has a title of defensive coordinator, which is slightly different than it was last year because Greg Madison and Jeff Hafley each were co-coordinators. And I don't anticipate Madison's title changing. I think he will still be co-DC and Kerry Combs will have the title of defensive coordinator. I don't believe that will change much um, sort of in the the mechanism of how they call the defense and how they put things together. I think it'll very much be the same as it was last year with Kerry Combs stepping into where Jeff Hathley was. But I view the title as like, that's what you had to do to get the, get the deal done. I get it. There's a report out there, I believe Bill Rabinowitz from Dispatch reported that Kerry Combs is going to make $1.2 million as Ohio State's defensive coordinator, which is a lot of money. And uh, the second highest assistant salary I think Ohio State's ever had, Greg Schiano made $1.5 million in his last year. 
But I, I don't think this is a situation where like Kerry Combs is coming in over Greg Madison. Um, I think they will work in tandem, but the, the titles make it a little confusing, but I, I largely believe it will operate much like it did last year. There should be a uh, like a guide to Ohio State coaching titles book because they play these games all the time and you know, I, I think the idea is that Kerry Combs is is coming back and this is the the thing like you said that they had to do to get it done. Um but I would I don't think that anybody's been demoted here. I just think it's just kind of a, a sign of respect for somebody who was here for a first stint, uh went to the NFL and had some success there and now is coming back um to be a coordinator. I think this was the career step that Kerry Combs wanted to take. And you know, if it meant just giving him that title, then I think that that makes a lot of sense. But in terms of who's calling the plays and who the the real coordinator is and all that stuff, I think is more fan fodder than it is going to be um, issues within the program. All right, let's talk about the offense now. We'll move past Kerry Combs. Uh, we're going to go through each position, sort of talk about who we have as slot as the starters and backups and where we think like the key battles are, what we think of sort of each group as a whole. And then we have questions from you guys via Twitter. Uh, that we solicited that we'll sort of use as jumping off points for, for discussions on each position. Should we start at quarterback or running back? Because like quarterback is always the most important position, but we know what's going on there, at least in terms of the starter. And running back feels to me like it's the thing people are most concerned about. So where do you want to start? Um, wherever you want to start, man. You're the host. Don't put it on me. I, I, well, I want to start at guard, and I was told we're not allowed <laughs> we're to. We're not allowed so. to start at, at left guard, which is uh, a very interesting discussion. Actually, <laughs> with, but we'll get to that. Um, I also think that, you know, just based on what I think the most interesting position is to discuss, um, and maybe this still counts, but I think slot receiver is the most interesting discussion, even more so than running back. I disagree very much with that. Uh, but it's your show, man. We can start there. Do you want to start a receiver? It's your show. We can do running back. All right, let's do running back. And we we did a cop out on this one. We we did co-starters at running back Master Teague and Marcus Crowley, with the backups being Demario McCall, Steel Chambers, Mayan Williams, and basically this is sort of a way of saying like we don't know what's going to happen. And, and I think there are a lot of people that are concerned about the replacement of J.K. Dobbins, and, and I believe rightfully so, so to a certain extent. I have like a, I have a take on running backs that it's not a unique take, but I feel like when I say it it can come off the wrong way. Like I believe to a certain extent that running backs are a dime a dozen. And like, if you don't have a great one, it's okay. If you have a great offensive line to make up for it. So I think Ohio state's okay. Even if there is a little bit of a talent drop off, we're assuming from JK Dobbins to whatever going to have next year. And I think they can figure out a way to make it work with both these guys. Am I, am I nuts to like not be that on edge about the fact that they're losing JK Dobbins, even though he did rush for 2000 yards last year. I mean, I think if there's one position on the offense where you, would you know feel good about getting by I think running back is that position but I think the idea of not having a stud at running back as fine is more of an NFL thought than it is a college thought and I think that's maybe part of the reason why you might be feeling that way because you know the trend in the NFL of not taking a running back in the first round and you know every but everybody in the NFL is good so like to me, I think having a dominant running back can be the difference between winning a national championship and not. And at Ohio State, that's the the goal. And I think if Ohio State would have had a different running back in 2014 and not the greatest running back in Ohio State history, maybe they would have had a harder time winning. And yes, Ezekiel Elliott had a great offensive line. 
maybe one of the best ones of the last decade. And yes, he ran through holes you could have driven a Mack truck through. And, I, and I, I've, I've been the one that says that all the time, but I do think that his ability of speed and running combination like made Ohio State's team that much better. So to me, it's not like Master Teague or Marcus Crowley suck. That's not what we're saying. But I do think that having a legit potential second-round, third-round running back at the college posi- or at that position in college does make a difference. So I'm not sure I agree completely with the idea of, well, they'll just get by with what they have. At Ohio State, they should never say that. I'm, yeah, I'm not, I guess I'm not saying that they should say that. Um, but I also look at the national title game and saw two teams starting three-star prospects at running back, and, and they were pretty good offensively. And there were some people looking at what Travis Etienne did in the Fiesta Bowl and, and were saying that he had a better game than J.K. Dobbins. I disagree with that, but... I, I guess I, I I do think and maybe it is influenced by the NFL that you know I don't even know who the, this dude on San Francisco Raheem Mostert I don't even know who, who the hell that guy is he won me a lot of money this week but I don't know who he is I'm happy that he played so well but no one knew who that guy was he was he been on like five different you, NFL teams first time you heard of him I mean I've heard of him this season but he'd been on like five teams in five years or something like he was on the Browns and the Eagles and they, they both teams cut him he had like a, a 400 rushing yards in his entire career at Purdue like no one knew who this guy was before this year. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, and I don't know. Maybe it's not an NFL thing. And again, I do think that the general premise of what you're saying is, you know, I think you'd rather be like, who's going to be the starting running back than who the hell is going to be the left tackle? You know, like there's very, there's I think a bitter, a bigger margin for error at this position. And again, it's not like these guys suck. It's just that you're taking a step back from a great college running back in J.K. Dobbins. And if the argument is, do do you think Ohio State can make do and still compete for a national championship with these running backs? I think that I would agree with that. But I also think that having a great running back does make a big difference. I think they can get by because the offensive line is going to be so good. And we can talk about the line later, but there are questions we got got later. I know I'm I'm, I'm, I'm holding myself back as best as I can here. All right, give me some credit. Uh, we got some questions about this position because there, I, there, the concern is that there's not an elite player here, which I get because like Master Teague and Marcus Crowley both were sort of lower-end four-star prospects. And for most of their recruitment, much of their recruitment, they were three-star prospects who sort of became four-stars in the end. And then there's not really any depth there because I don't know what Demario McCall's role is on this team. Mayan Williams is a freshman, and we didn't really see anything of Steel Chambers last year. And when he got here, people thought maybe he should be a linebacker and not a running back. So you're really talking about two guys in Teague and Crowley and then a whole lot of unknown behind them. And then the two guys you have starting, you don't really know much about either. So people are wondering, and we have, we've gotten different versions of this question. I'll just pick this one from Jordan Steele. He said, would Tony Alford and Ryan Day consider moving Jalen Gill back to the running back room to add depth? He was the number two all-purpose back and ranked 63rd in the nation in 2018. He seems like he might get lost in the shuffle at receiver with the recent evolution of that room. I don't think he's a college running back, Bill. Neither do I. And I don't think I don't think that idea of the hybrid kind of guy who can play slot receiver and play some running back like a Curtis Samuel, uh, like a Dontre Wilson was a little bit. I just I don't think that exists in this offense anymore. I I don't envision them recruiting many players like that anymore. Um, so I don't I don't think that's an avenue that Ohio State will go, and I and I don't think they're going to add another player via high school or transfer. So I think they're moving forward with what they have. It's just a question of do we think they can find something out of Teague or Crowley or a tandem of both, sort of I guess in in 
pair with Justin Fields in the backfield to have a good enough run game to get back to to where they want to go next year. Yeah, and why do you say that you don't think that they will add a transfer? I don't know if I would 100% agree with that. Because they're full. They're they're already – the numbers always figure themselves out. I get that. And I guess they could add somebody like in the summer if they end up below the number. But right now they're like three or four over. And there are some obvious positions you can look at that are full where guys will probably leave when it's all sudden done. But at the moment, it's my understanding, like they didn't they didn't do this official visit with Jameer Gibbs partly because they don't have a spot for him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like if you're not gonna take that kid, why would you take a, a grad transfer running back? I guess one could be more ready than the other, but Jameer Gibbs is pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um I, I the reason why I asked that is because A, it is early in the process still. And you know, there are people who transfer out after spring and stuff, and I just didn't know if the perfect running back fell out of the sky like Kerry Combs, <laughs> if Ohio State <laughs> might try to make something work. Because to me, and when we, I mean, we spoke a lot about running back last week on the podcast, and I think we were both in agreement that that would be the perfect world if somebody that was ready-made and might be a, a step ahead of uh, where Master Teague um, and Marcus Crowley are right now is ready to play for one year as a one-year rental. I think that that would make a lot of sense. But numbers don't lie, and you know, it's just we don't know exactly where the numbers are going to come from or how many are going to free up. Um, in my experience covering this team, whenever you take a step back and like worry, are the numbers going to get there? Are they going to get there? A lot of times they get there in addition to what you thought that had to happen. Um, and when you're talking about a single spot for um, a position of great need right now, or a position of need at least, that they would make that work some way um, or the other. Um, but you know, I, I do think that it's probably time to start thinking about the running back position just in the terms of what they have on this roster, like you said. I'm going to do a story because I've been thinking a lot about this and been seeing a lot of questions about it. And, and as you and I were trying to figure out this this depth chart, I'm going to do something um, like film study-wise about Teague and Crowley and sort of where I think the run game is going to go if these two are the guys. Because I think Ohio State might need to tweak some things. Because I've said before on this podcast that I think Crowley is a little more like Dobbins than Teague is. And I think I still believe that. But I think Crowley and Teague are more similar than they are different in terms of preferred running style and what they're good at. And uh, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. So so I guess look out for that in the next week or so because I think that might be the best way to sort of illustrate where Ohio State's going at running back by, by watching what we have seen of these two guys and what Ohio State wants to do in the run game and, and sort of how it all blends together. But uh, let's go to quarterback because... Well, before we go to quarterback, Bill, don't we... I think we should definitively, after every single position, say what we think is going to happen. I think uh, Crowley will be the number one, but it would be a little more of a split than it was last year. I agree completely. But, like, I just wanted to, to definitively say that so when we move on to the next position, people know what we're, what we're thinking. Yeah, that's good. Let's talk backup quarterback first because you know the starter is going to be Justin Fields. And we got a good question about Justin Fields that, that I want to get to. But we have C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller as the backups, both listed sort of as co-backups. The freshmen that are early enrolled on campus already and, and here sort of starting their quarterback competition against each other. In earnest, you have Gunnar Hoke behind them, who is a second-year grad transfer who I don't think either of us really expects to factor into the equation all that much unless it's a super emergency kind of situation. So with Stroud and Miller... How do you think this is going to play out? And we got a question about it, whether or not you think Ryan Day will actually name a number two out of these two guys or just sort of let them play it out. And then if he has to make a decision on a number two, he'll do it during the season when his hand is forced. When we um, 
were talking about this, I don't know, like a month ago when I, we were doing the predictions for the season. I think what you said was perfectly on the money. And that was never name a number two until after spring next year when he has to. So I think that they'll go through spring going neck and neck. They're both enrolled early, so the competition starts in a few weeks. Go into the season, because he never even named a number two quarterback this year. Right. So um, don't name a number two quarterback at all um, during the season. Let them both compete throughout the year. Let them both play in mop-up duty, which there will certainly be time for. Um, and the only way that you'll ever really get a gauge of who the real number two is is if Justin Fields um, gets hurt and you have to make a snap decision of who goes into the game, then go into next spring with the real competition of who's going to be the starter in the fall and then somebody's going to transfer after next spring. That's the way I see it playing out, and I think that's the way you outlined it too. Don't name any starter. Don't do anything publicly until you absolutely have to, and I don't think Ryan Day has to for another year. I don't believe – I think you and I disagreed on the, the transfer timeline a little bit because I actually, I actually think that Kyle McCord – Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud will all be in the same room together in that first fall of the McCords here, and then some movement might happen after that. But mostly, mostly, yeah, I agree with that that scenario you laid out. I don't, I don't think he'll name one. I think he'll as best as he can. Like a lot will be made of of who goes into the game first. I guess if they get into a blowout situation, but I think Ryan Day, as best as he can, will try to rotate that evenly, get them both on the field equal yes. reps. And then the only the only way that it becomes an issue in terms of the future of the position and managing that is if something happens to Justin Fields and you have to put somebody in an emergency. It's like who do you put in? And and maybe he'll put in Gunnar Hoke. I can't. It depends on the game situation, I guess. If they if they need to win, I don't think they put in Gunnar Hoke. But if they're up, you know, by twenty eight on Bowling Green and Justin Fields rolls his ankle, that could tell us something, or maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. I mean, Gunnar Hoke knew the situation he was coming into, and getting him the most meaningful early blowout situation reps seems like a waste to me. Um, you need to find a starting quarterback immediately, and that starting quarterback is going to be the starter next year um, in 2021. And to me, I think that you take every opportunity you can to get both of them as many reps as possible in the game to develop them so they're ready in the spring to really take on um, that challenge. I don't know when you say that you think the McCord's also going to be in the room. Do you mean like in the next spring, or do you think that there is going to be one starter between Jack Miller and Stroud, and then a backup between those two, and then McCord on the same fall, because I don't see that happening at all. I, I, I don't. Yes, I think I think in fall 2021, one of these two guys is going to be the starter, and the other guy will remain as the backup, and then maybe he'll leave after that. Um, I also guess it depends on what the it depends on what the transfer market kind of looks like too, because it seems like. Like guys were getting immediately immediately eligible at a crazy clip when Justin Fields transferred, and that seems to have slowed down a little bit. So we don't really know what that's going to look like even a year down the road. Maybe it could be even more favorable for players, and if it is, then maybe maybe I'm wrong. But if it keeps yeah, trending in this direction, I think so soon. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just like it's hard to err on the side of patience right now. So like to me, like the idea of if Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud gets knows they're clearly behind. After next spring, why would they wait? The way to avoid all that is just to do the old uh, two-quarterback system. It's always worked here, right? I know, but like, why do you think that either of them would wait? Um, I don't really have a good reason. I, maybe I'm just trying to be a contrarian, but um, I think maybe I trust Ryan Day to manage it pretty well. 
But I could be totally wrong. Maybe it, maybe it's inevitable, and I, I'm just totally off base. But my guess is they'll all be here. I just yeah. think it's an impossible situation. I mean, it's just like if you name a starter, then the other person who's still going to be a sophomore can start that clock somewhere else, whether he's immediate, uh, immediately eligible or has to wait out a year immediately so that he can play sooner. It's just like I would, if I were in that position, I would leave as soon as I knew that I wasn't the guy. I think I would too. I think, and I think most most players would, and and I believe Ohio State is prepared for that to happen. They'll try to avoid it as best they can, but it does it does sort of feel inevitable. And I think it's a good situation for Ohio State to be in, to have two guys and get to choose one. It's it, you know like most programs aren't even in a situation where they're able to convince two people to come and, and battle it out. So, like usually people try to avoid these scenarios when in the recruiting process when they see the way the, the depth chart's going to stack up. But even now with the transfer portal, that's an impossible thing to do. Justin Fields can fall out of the sky at any point. And even though that was the most prime example of perfection that can fall out of the transfer portal as possible, you never know what the, the, the quarterback room is going to look like a year in advance anymore. So like the idea that they have two high-end four-star prospects in the program and will be in the program for two springs and at least two springs and one fall like that's a lot of time to develop somebody and get a good feel for who you want to be the future, and I I give credit to both of those kids for like not shying away from that ability. And like C.J. Stroud said something during his recruitment process when I was there in Rancho Cucamonga last year that like stood out to me. And he goes, "Dude, listen, why would I be afraid of having another freshman quarterback in my class?" He said. I'd much rather battle another freshman than go in there and have to battle somebody who's been in the program a year longer. It's like I have a better opportunity to beat out another person my age than beating out somebody who's older than me. And I thought that was a really like astute observation. And I think both of these guys like probably have a mutual respect for each other despite coming from vastly different backgrounds. And but also at the same time are like going for the jugular vein. And the second that one of them is gone, I or one of them is named the starter or has a clear advantage. I think the other one's going to leave immediately. But the hope is that neither one will have to play much this year because they have a Heisman Trophy favorite coming back at quarterback. And the question with Justin Fields is, how good can this guy be? And he will be... Uh, Ryan Day made note of this, and I believe our, our main man, Don Hope, might have written a story about this a couple weeks ago at 11 Warriors, that Ryan Day, like in his entire career, has never had a returning starting quarterback. No matter where he's been coaching the position, he's always had a new guy every every year. This is the first time he's got a guy coming back, and the guy coming back happens to be really good. So we have a question from our main man, Gene Nilly, who is an, uh, eternally on pins and needles about Ohio State and thinks everything is the end of the world, the sky is falling. This is a more measured question. Actually, no, it's not. Not really. In the biggest game of the year, J.K. Dobbins was the engine that drove the offense. Without him, do you feel like Fields is ready to carry the offense on his back? And this is the this is the kicker. Is he capable of a 4,000 passing, 1,000 rushing season like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson? I don't think that that exists in this offense, Bill. Um, but I do think that he's capable of carrying this offense on his back. Um, if somebody with those physical uh, intangibles isn't, then I don't know who is. Um, and I think that um, it's going to be up to him to, to kind of take that next step forward. And as we've written, or I've written, I think that he's going to be a top 10 pick next year. And I think he'll do that by having a tremendous season where he illustrates his ability to pass and throw. And we've said this last year, and 
it will remain true next year. I don't think I've ever covered a quarterback in my life that was a dual threat and like equally did both as as good as he does. Um, usually when a dual threat is there, he's a great runner and not that great of a passer but can get by. It's like this guy has a NFL arm and can run um, quite a bit. And, you know, we didn't see that very often last year because there was no need for it. But I wonder now if there will be more running or more quarterback running element to this offense now that there is some questions or, I guess, just lack of J.K. Dobbins in this offense. And I, I think the answer to that question is yes, especially considering the fact that they might have more talent in the quarterback room and more comfort in the idea that he has competent backups to come in and and do something if he if he gets injured. So to me, I, I think that there will be more of a running element, and I do anticipate that he's going to be a Heisman Trophy finalist, and he's going to do so by carrying this team. And if he doesn't or he can't, then Ohio State's not who we think they are. But I think we've gotten a good enough glimpse of who he is, what he's about, and what he's capable of to, to just say that that's a fact that he's capable of that, don't you? I do, and... I, when I first read this question, I thought the numbers that G. Nilly threw out were kind of insane. But now looking at what Justin Fields actually did last year, they're not so insane. He had 3,273 passing yards and 484, basically 500 rushing yards. And he really only was playing in the first half of games up until the last four games of the season, four or five games of the season. So it's not totally insane to me to think that he could get to the kind of season that Gene Nilly's talking about. It's just a matter of, is he going to be in the same positions he was last year when Ohio State beats 90% of its schedule by 30 points and Justin Fields is cooling on the bench in the second half? And I think that might be the case. That's what I was saying. When you were when you were reading that, I was just going to say, yeah, well, what, you don't think there's going to be blowouts next year? Because like, that's just the thing. I think he's going to be in the same exact situation as he was this year in most of their games. I believe he will, too. Like, the, Yeah, they play Bowling Green. Like The Big Ten is what it is. Their crossovers from the West aren't that good. They go on the road to Michigan State and Penn State, but I think we would assume they were tough games anyway. They get Nebraska here, like Illinois. So it's not – the schedule's not so different to me that, that the dynamic with how much they play him is going to change. Maybe Ryan Day might might feel a little more inclined to leave him in there, knowing that he's chasing a Heisman and knowing that he has, we're assuming, better playable depth behind him than he did last year. But I think for the most part, it's going to look like it was last year, which is just going to make it really difficult to have those kind of numbers. Like I think he could have that kind of season without hitting those numbers, but like like just like play at that kind of level without actually hitting those numbers. And if you were extrapolated, he'd be at those numbers, and I think that's just as good. Um, but Which I don't, is what happened this year. Yeah, for the most part. I, I, I think we'll, we'll see him run. He ran 137 times last year for 484 yards, three and a half yards per carry, and, and a lot of that is is impacted by the sacks that he took. And I think maybe he'll take fewer sacks this year because maybe he'll be a little more inclined to run. I don't know. Maybe he'll take just as many sacks. But I think we'll, there'll be more called quarterback run. And J.K. Dobbins, who had 301 carries, maybe – 30 to 40 of those running back carries will will come to Justin Fields now with with JK gone. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think that he could have run more last year. And I understand the idea of there was no need for it, but I think he's a special talent, and I don't know that he showcased his entire ability uh, based on what I think he's capable of doing last year. So if he adds 50 carries to his total and you know, has that young crop of receivers, which we'll get to, 
I mean, I think he has a chance to put up a very special season statistically, but I think when we're judging Justin Fields and whether he arrives, I think there's too much of an emphasis on numbers, and I think we'll know it when we see it. Does that make sense? Like, where you just, you, it's not so much about whether or not he can match Kyler Murray's Oklahoma numbers in the Big 12 and score 51 points a game against Iowa State. You know, it's about whether or not he has that look about him. And I think that we saw glimpses of it. Uh, There was one play in the Fiesta Bowl, and we were sitting next to each other, and you remember we reacted to it, where he was, like, lost in the in the pocket a little bit and it looked like he was about to get sacked and then he like emerged from like that cartoon like fighting smoke bubble and like ran for 20 yards and picked up a first down and then got up and flashed the the uh, um, first down sign with his hands and it was just like a like a star wow moment like I think like that's what the season you know the wow moments going all the way back to the first podcast we did after the opener last year to now it's like I think that I'm going to be more willing and more excited to judge Justin Fields based on the way that he looks than whether or not he comes into his own as a junior quarterback and a second-year starter at Ohio State more so than whether or not he puts up 4,000 yards passing. I do think there are, there are ways he can grow as a passer, and Ryan Day sort of hinted at that when we spoke with him last week. And it's the same for any young quarterback. It's about progressions and seeing more of the field and sort of trusting that your guys are going to be open, trusting your protection. And, and I think as he gets more experience, he'll grow in that. But if he can, like there, he left some yards on the field this year because he was just a young quarterback who didn't see the field the same way like someone like Joe Burrow might have been seeing the field last year. So there are definitely improvements to make. I think he can get there because he's a very gifted kid, obviously. And before we get off quarterback, are you pretty solid on starter, Justin Fields? Is there any, Or you want to throw a curveball in there? Um, I mean, we're... Sitting here in January right now, Bill, we do not know what the portal is going to bring. So, time will tell. I think I think it looks good that he'll be the starter, but I don't know who's going to be on the roster for sure uh, in the fall. Yeah, maybe he'll just uh, sit out his junior year, him and uh, Trevor Lawrence, and go play catch down at Atlanta until somebody drafts him. Malibu, Malibu. Sorry, Malibu, Malibu. Um, before we move on to uh, receiver and then offensive line, I want to ask you a completely unrelated question because this happened over the weekend, and I said to myself, we need to talk about this on a podcast. It's yes, food related. I will be your best man in your wedding. No, it's not. Sorry, you've been uh, you've been passed over. Um, <laughs> it's food related, so I sure. guess bear with us if you're listening and you get annoyed by this stuff. But so I went to uh, breakfast over the weekend at this place called Nancy's Home Cooking. It's in Clintonville here in Columbus. And it's very small. So we sat down at a table and there was just two of us and like there was two other seats on the table and the place is so small. Like people are waiting in line to sit down and somebody said like, hey, can we share this table with you? And we said, sure, no problem. So the guy sits down and he had been there before clearly because he goes, I'm not ordering off the menu. And I was just eavesdropping. And the waitress comes over and she says, what do you want? And the guy goes, "Uh, can he, meaning the cook, does he have time to do a Bob Ross like Bob Ross, the painter. <laughs> and uh, she goes, yeah, he has time. How much do you want to spend? And the guy goes, no limit. Just make sure it's a breakfast Bob Ross. And I was thinking to myself, like, what the hell is happening here? And then 20 minutes or so go by, and I have our, like, I'm halfway through my food. And then she brings over this plate the size of my head, bigger than my head. It's, it's a gigantic plate. And the first layer is biscuits, and it's ladled with some sausage gravy over the top and a bunch of breakfast potatoes. And then on top of that, there's a giant pancake with powdered sugar that's the size of the entire plate. And then on top of that pancake was like a bacon lattice. It was probably eight to ten pieces of bacon and then four fried eggs. And then my man just went to town on this thing. And it had to have been like 6,000 calories. And it made me wonder, I wanted to ask you, 
one, could you ever eat something like that? And two, like, what is your most impressive eating feat? Because watching that guy put that thing down, and he that guy probably weighed like 180 pounds, was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Have you ever heard of a Bob Ross? Because like, as you were telling me the story, I had no idea where it was going. Is that like no. a thing? And I was the first time I've ever heard of it in my life. And what do you mean, what is the spending limit? What, it's not like he's putting together a custom painting for his house. What do you mean, a spending limit? Yeah, That's, no limit. My man said no limit. He no got limit. literally every, everything in the restaurant was put on a plate and he ate it. Um, I could definitely eat something like that. I don't know if I could eat the whole thing, but like that sounds appetizing to me. Did it look good? It looked good, but I don't, like, I'm very picky about like mixing my foods, and I don't know if I could eat like a pancake and... And I guess it all kind of goes together. There was no like. Yeah, I mean, you don't syrup. like when your foods touch, so that's I don't like. Not I don't like would. when my foods touch. I'm a child. It doesn't make sense, Bill. I understand that. I I, I know that it's yeah. not sensical, but I don't think I could. What's have your eaten. most impressive eating feat? I got to think about mine. Uh, I ate. Um, I'm trying to. Was I ate 78 wings in one sitting one time, which I thought was pretty impressive. Maybe it's not. I've uh, had some pretty big eating uh, moments in my life, but, like, I don't have any, like, memories of, like, counting it. Actually, no, it was a pretty impressive eating feat, at least for me. We went out with Andy Staples in Arizona, and I was just trying to not get shown up by Andy, who's a human garbage disposal. And uh, I ordered some sliders from that uh, Jewish deli we went to, and then I had a, a Reuben on top of that. That was a whole lot of bread that I ate before the, the, the Fiesta Bowl. I uh, have, like I said, I've had some pretty amazing eating feats. I was absolutely blown away by you guys. Those Jewish sliders that you guys ordered, with the it, it comes with their challah, was it corned beef or pastrami? It was uh, corned beef, a yeah. potato laka on a little like mini challah roll, and there were like five of them. And then you ate a, and they came with sandwich. they came with a cup of gravy to dip it in, <laughs> a cup of gravy to dip it in, and then it came, and then they ordered, like another corned beef sandwich, like for their meal, like that was just their appetizer, and then they, and I'm talking like those are six inch high like, sandwiches that are packed with meat and two between two, hopeless, slices of rye bread. There's no way they can. How did you eat all that? I still like to, and then went and covered a football game after it. Like I've. Like, honestly, that might have been one of the most impressive eating feats I've ever seen in my entire life. They came with... And, like, uh, we sat there with... They came with really thick-cut french fries, too. And Andy ate all of his. I couldn't finish all mine. I have no idea how you did it. I, uh... I, Without even, like, being in a coma for the rest of the day. I felt awful. I felt awful. And I was only doing... I would. I don't think I'd ever do that. I eat a lot. I'm a big man. But I think I would have ordered one or the other. But I was just trying to keep up with Andy. And I learned an important lesson that, that, that day. Don't try to keep up with Andy. Was that really your whole motivation for that? To keep up with it him? It was most of my motivation, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I only ordered this. I don't know who the hell I was, I was trying full. to impress because it was me and you and Andy and Stuart Mandel and Grace Rayner. Like, there's nobody there. So I'm like, oh, yeah, good job, Bill. Way to eat all that shit. But, I, don't, uh, I don't even know if Andy <laughs> noticed, to be honest, man. I <laughs> yeah, I don't think he cared. Um, think you'll have to text him on the side. But, like, I... I for I'm a big man too, and I ate, and I eat quite a bit, and I had the sliders, and I was cashed. There was no possible way I could have eaten an entire roast beef, sa- or I mean, a corned beef sandwich, with those fries like that. Like, and like Andy was just like, "Okay, let's go," and like he wasn't even phased by it. Yeah. So anyway, I'm gonna diet now. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. good. It's, yeah. it's January, so let me know if February. I think, uh, over, I okay? think I've, I've dropped a little bit of weight since then. Just, just, just yeah, you look, you look good. I'm trying. I'm trying to fit into a suit. Bill and I FaceTime, 
or I FaceTime Bill when I'm gone for long periods of time and you know, you got a wedding coming up in the summer, so I, I for get the it. wedding, you know. Yeah. All right, let's talk more about football. Slot receiver. You have you have thoughts, you have takes on slot receiver. What's your you said it was the most interesting position on the team. Why? Well, when we were filling these out and Bill and I did these together, but I thought, like, when I was writing my... I wrote the offense one, he wrote the defense one, but we did the depth chart together. And as I was writing it, like, I had a sense of this is wrong. Because, so let's just outline the receivers for me real quick, Bill. Just just read them off who we said was starting at all the positions. Sure. So at X receiver, we have Garrett Wilson starting, backed up by Julian Fleming and Jalen Harris. Uh, Z receiver, and these are the two outside spots. Chris Olave starting, backed up by Jamison Williams, Jackson Smith, and Jigba and G. Scott. And then at slot receiver, like the old H-back position, we're just going to call it slot because it's less confusing. Starters, Jalen Gill, backed up by Mookie Cooper. And then Cam Babb, who is coming off two significant knee injuries, is also listed there. Yeah, and we don't know the health status of Babb yet. And Cooper didn't play his entire senior year because of an eligibility issue because he transferred or something and he wasn't able to play in St. Louis, so he hasn't played football for a year. Um, so, like, that, to me, A, the slot receiver has the least amount of depth because you just have guys that haven't played in a while behind him and younger. Um, and, like, I think we're putting a lot on Jalen Gill's shoulders to say that he's going to be the starting slot receiver. And to me, like, Doug asked on uh, when Ryan Day was available last week whether or not he would just reorganize the receivers and not have them married to a position. Um, and he said they're just going to put their best six on the field. So I think, A, we have to come up with their six-receiver rotation. And, B, I think that there is a distinct possibility, and if I can go back in time and rewrite this, I might actually put Chris Olave in the slot as a starter and then figure out another starting receiver for the Z. Um, and even if that means like putting a guy like Jamison Williams in that spot or even Julian Fleming um, to go opposite Garrett Wilson, um, I think that that would be their better combination and I know there's probably people who are driving and punching their steering wheel like what's wrong with Jalen Gill he was a five-star prospect I just think that we both have come to understand that he has a long way to go Um, and it's not saying that it's impossible that he reaches that that goal and asserts himself this spring as a guy who has to be on the field in the slot this is like his redshirt sophomore year he's been in the program now going on three years there's a spot for him that seems like he could fit quite well like that's what he is like the all-purpose back slot receivers like the whole thing right but to me I think that if you put Chris Olave in that spot who runs routes better than anybody on the team in my opinion who's also quick and has great hands I think that he is to me the better version of KJ Hill because he has big playability too Um, and then like starting a guy like Fleming who's the most complete wide receiver that Ohio State signed since Garrett Wilson which is a whopping two years ago, like I think that they have enough on the outside, not to mention like the the rotational guys like Jamison Williams, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and G. Scott. Like there's a lot of talent on the outside, and I think that Olave is going to be the starting slot receiver in the fall. I don't agree with that, but let me ask you this. So they open against Bowling Green on, what's the date? Uh, September 5th, 2020. Ohio State first offensive snap comes out. It's got one tight end. It's got one running back. It's got three receivers on the field. Who were the three receivers? Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Julian Fleming. I think that's possible for sure. I might lean a little more toward Olave, Wilson, and Williams, Jamison Williams. 
Yeah, I mean, Williams has been in the program for another year, so if you want to flip them, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going based on, like, the upside from his recruiting profile, being the number one receiver in the country. And, like, people are obsessed with him, and rightfully so. And, like, I think that we saw what Garrett Wilson was, was capable of to a certain extent. I, I almost make the argument that he didn't play enough as a freshman. And if Fleming is in the same ilk as that, like, to me, that's who has to be on the field. And, like, again, we're, like, I think that that's an interesting question, the way you just posed it, but I also don't think it matters because they have a six-receiver rotation, and I think all of them are going to play. Yeah, I think that the – so Olave Wilson-Williams are in the six. I think you and I would both agree on that. Yeah. Who are the other three in your mind at the moment? Is it Scott Fleming and Smith and Jigba? All three, three of the four freshmen? I mean, all three of those freshmen were, like, top 65 prospects. And, like, Smith and Jigba is, like, basically was a four-star but should have been a five-star, and same with G. Scott – like, I don't know, like, if Jalen Harris is ever going to get on the field. I mean, he got on the field some this year. Um, but I, I don't see a spot for Elijah Gardner right now. And I don't see a spot for Bab because I just think that he has a long way to go to recover. Uh, Mookie Cooper is a smaller freshman, and I think size matters in college. And it takes a minute to get ready. So, like, it's between Jalen Gill and those freshmen. And, like, right now, I don't know if I see Jalen Gill in the rotation. I talked with Jaden Gill in the locker room after the Big Ten Championship just sort of about like finding his place. And, of course, he said all the right things, and, and I don't really have any other recourse but to believe him because we're not there every day to see what's going on. But I don't feel very strongly about him finding a spot either. And, like, you try to read between the lines a little bit on stuff, and I don't – I can't really recall, like, Ryan Day ever sort of going out of his way to talk favorably about Jalen Gill, even when kind of given the opportunity to do so. So I, I, I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not quite there on him. That's not to say he can't get things turned around because he is talented. We've seen – we saw what he was in high school. He's a Westerville South, right, which is just around the corner from, from where we are. We know he's a good player, but – these freshmen they have coming in are really talented. They're among the most talented receivers Ohio State's ever brought in. They're more naturals at the position than Jalen Gill is. He talked about still sort of transitioning and, and learning the ins and outs of playing that position because he was, for all intents and purposes, a running back in high school. Not not all that different from Paris Campbell, who took a few years to figure out how to play receiver and then became really good. I just don't know if Jalen Gill is is on that same path. So I, I also tend to agree with you that it's Olave Wilson-Williams and then Scott Fleming and Smith and Jigba. The only holdup I have about what you said about Olave is like I, I would be hesitant to say that like Olave is in the slot because I think that could be a little bit misleading. He maybe more than anyone else on the team strikes me as someone who can move around and play any any receiver position, and I think maybe Smith and Jigba is like that too. So maybe you see those two guys in the slot more than anyone else. But more and more, I just think like the line is blurred between all of these positions, and certainly you want a little more short area quickness with a slot guy. Then and maybe um, maybe somebody like G. Scott, who's a bigger body guy, doesn't quite have that. But a lot of these guys seem like, or Jimmy, Jimmy Jamison Williams, who's like a long track athlete, maybe he doesn't have that either. But I think a lot of these guys do. So I just kind of think you're going to see them playing all over the place. And they'll find the six, and maybe they'll stretch it to seven if Harris or Cooper can crack the rotation. But I don't think you're going to be able to look out there and be like, oh yeah, that guy's the X, that guy's the Z, that guy's the slot, because I think they're going to play everywhere. And I think probably more of the reason why I felt that way about the depth chart is that we listed or I listed Jalen Gill as a starter. 
then to me, that's where the trepidation comes from. And I think on paper, it makes more sense to put Chris Olave in that spot and then put somebody like Fleming in as a starter at Z, because on paper, that would make would probably be closer to what I anticipate actually seeing in the fall. That's always the balance with these things. It's like you want to you want to try to be real and not just like match what's on what's going to be on paper when Ohio State puts out its depth chart, which probably wouldn't be until August anyway. But I also think on another level, you you do want to I don't know maybe try to give someone like Jalen Gill the benefit of the doubt and, and see if he can't turn it around and become that guy. So I don't necessarily think it was wrong to put him there. But if if you were to ask me, and I think you ask you, I, I don't think either one of us believes that's really really how it's going to play out. And it's the balance um, between who we think is going to be the first on the field in the spring and projecting what it's going to... Oh, it's noon in Ohio. You hear the siren? <laughs> yeah. The mutants are coming. Sorry, I knocked my cord out of my headphones. Um, what were we saying, Bill? Sorry. You were telling me about how skinny I look. You look really good, man. Congratulations. Um... But the, the balance is what I was talking about between who's going to be the first person on the field in the spring. But what we're trying to do here is tell you what it's going to be in the fall. So, like, to me, it makes sense that Jalen Gill might be a benefit of the Dow guy going into the spring. But it's a matter of whether or not we think he's going to be in the main rotation and a co-starter or... If you're in the rotation, to me, you're a starter, regardless if you're on the field first. And I'm not sure that that's going to play out that way. So it was just like a, the reason why I thought this was the most interesting discussion is because this is the one that I had the most trouble filling out. So let's just do top six then. I think we're in agreement. Olave, Wilson, Williams, Scott, Fleming, Smith, and Jigba. And like after the first two, the bottom four can kind of be in any order. That's where I'm at. Yeah. You know, and and I'm very curious too because Jalen Harris is a junior now. And like he has that Ben Victor body. I'd even say even probably bulkier and stronger. But, like, for whatever reason, the light hasn't turned on for him either, and I'm very curious to see if he... He was somebody who did get into games early on on the offensive side of the ball this year. Like, if there's any hope for him or if, like, he's just in that no-man's land out there with Gardner right now. Yeah, and I think he played on special teams too. I, I do believe they, they, they like Jalen Harris. He just might kind of be a man without a home and... He does, you look at him, he, he looks like he'd be great. And he was like a top 130 prospect. Like he, was pretty, he was a pretty good player coming out of Cleveland Heights. So I'm not, I'm not totally writing him off. Because we are talking about, like, for as good as these guys are coming in, they are all freshmen. And I think it's fun to assume and, and envision what they're going to be and, and sort of lean toward the best possible scenario. But one or two of these guys could also need some time. And then maybe you do need someone like Jalen Harris to step up. And I think that'll sort itself out in the spring, and you'll have a better idea of that. But my anticipation is that the young guys will, will win out, but I'm not totally writing off Jalen Harris just yet. And it's just like, if you if you think that recruiting rankings are the Bible like me, I mean, there is a difference. Like, Jalen Harris was the number 28 receiver in the 177 overall player in the 2017 class. And then you're looking at guys like Julian Fleming, who's the number one receiver and the number two overall player. Like, there was a distinct talent difference. And, like, I remember back in the 17 class when we were writing about Jalen Harris how big of a deal that was. But, like, even at Ohio State, like, getting on the field is hard, even for somebody like, like him. So, like, you're looking at a guy who was six foot five, 210 pounds, a senior in high school, 
and like looks the part, but like it just seems weird nowadays too because if a player gets to their third year and hasn't played yet, then you're like, well, what the hell's wrong? And it's like that used to be the plan. So like it's like one of those things of like on one hand, this could be the year where he finally figures everything out and paid his dues and can play, or on the other hand, he's lost, and I sometimes have a hard time deciphering between the two of those things. Quick question on receivers before we move on to tight end and offensive line. Michael Bohm, I hope I'm saying his name right, sent in a question. He says, which of these freshman receivers do you see getting the most significant targets next year? Uh, Julian Fleming. I'm going to go Smith and Jigba. I think he played at the best level of high school football. He was an animal. Every time we watched him, uh, I watched his highlights from Friday nights down in Texas. He was making unbelievable plays. And Brian Hartline talked a lot about Julian Fleming like being a very natural talent, but also not super polished because he played in the wing T offense. And maybe he was just negging him, and, and that's all he was doing. But I buy some of that a little bit. So my pick is, is Smith and Jigba. I mean, Smith and Jigba was like catching six touchdown passes for 398 yards every week. So, you know, maybe you're right. I mean, like to me, when you're talking about four different guys who all ranked in the top 65, like it's like very hard to like decipher between those two. And I guess I just took the cop out and picked the number two overall player in the country, you know, but like probably the safe route, like it's the safe route. But I also like when you look at tape, like Smith, the Jigba's tape is out is absurd. It is. So there's certainly, there's certainly merit in what you're saying too. And I'm more than willing to say before I'm right or wrong that I could be wrong. Let's move to tight end. I don't think we need to spend much time on tight end. Luke Farrell's back as a starter. Jeremy Ruckert's back as a starter. Jake Hausman is back. Uh, he played a, a fair amount last year. Cormonte Hamilton was injured last year, but should be healthy. And Joe Royer's a freshman coming in. We have Farrell and Ruckert as the starters. Um, I think that the only uh, – Hausman is like listed as like another guy there behind the backups. I, I think Hausman, if he sticks around, will be like the third guy in. Um we don't have to talk about whether or not they're going to throw it to the tight ends. Just know that it's an important position on the offense, but the way they run the ball. And they run a lot and of Cormonte, double tight formations. They ran a lot, so. yeah, they ran a lot of, they ran a lot of, of two tight end last year. Maybe they'll do less of that this year, but they ran, they didn't have depth of receiver to play like four wide more than they played with two tight ends. And that might be different this year. But Cormonte Hamilton is a guy that really interests me because I think he's like more of a fullback than a tight end. And I have a lot of questions about how they envision using him in the offense that I'm like excited to kind of dig into, maybe even this spring. Because I'm not sure how much he's going to play, but I think he's an interesting guy. Uh, anything else on tight end before we move to the line? No. Okay. Offensive line starters. Thayer Munford is back at left tackle. Josh Myers is back at center. Wyatt Davis is back at right guard. There's a battle to be had at left guard. We have Harry Miller winning that. And there's a battle to be had at right tackle. We have Nicholas Petit Frere winning that. Uh, I agree with all those projections. I think this offensive line is going to be really good. Harry Miller is super interesting to me because Ryan Day could not stop raving about him last year. There just wasn't a spot for him to play, which makes sense because he was a freshman and they had good, good guys up front. But I think the interior, as much as I love the interior of Ohio State's offensive line last year, I think this group has the potential to be better because Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers are awesome, and I think Harry Miller's upside is even better than what Jonah Jackson was this year. And Jonah Jackson was pretty good. Um, so I really like this group. I'm I'm intrigued by like the open tackle spot. And I think Nick Petrie Frere is going to win it, but Dewan Jones, I think, developed faster than they thought he would, and Parrish Johnson is 
one of the best tackle prospects to come along in a long time. So what do you think is going to, or how do you think that's all going to play out with that open right tackle spot? Well, let me first ask you this, because I didn't even consider Jones could win the job. Like, is that a possibility in your mind? Yeah, I think it's a possibility. I don't know, like percentage-wise, I'm still probably fairly low, like 20-30%, but it's, it's definitely not zero. I think they like him. It's just a matter of, he was he was pretty raw when he came here and I think has really bought into what they're teaching and how they're developing him. But he's also like, he was like 380 pounds, I think, when he came here and probably still needs to lose some weight before you can play him every snap. And we'll see where he is, I guess, when he, when he gets the next summer. But I think he's in that mix. I think he's in that mix. I'm not, I, I Nick Petit Frere, I think, should be considered a heavy favorite, but I would not be totally shocked if DeWan Jones is like pushing for that job or if they make it seem like DeWan Jones is pushing for that job. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because that left tackle, Thayer Munford, returns, and that's a big, big get. And, you know, as you have said, getting three potential NFL guys who could have split early to come back on a five person offensive line is like huge. And I think that means Ohio State has a chance to have the best offensive line in college football next year. But I do think that he had been slowed by injuries his entire junior year. And, like, I bet you he's going to take a pretty nice break during spring. Um, So I think that's going to open up the door a lot for Paris Johnson to get a lot of reps at tackle. And that's going to spring forward into a competition with uh, Petit Freer that might not have existed had there been um, more reps from a veteran being taken during the spring. So, like, to me, as I wrote in the story, I think that that Petit Freer, who was – the number one offensive tackle in the country, the 18 class, has to be considered the starter. The plan is for him to be the starter. But I do think that it's going to be a very interesting battle between the number one tackle in the 18 class and the number one tackle in the 2020 class, and it's starting like in the spring. Yeah, I'm very excited for that, to see how that plays out. We, I, we got a question about Paris Johnson, like whether or not he would be the sixth man this year. And I love that stuff. Like I think I read a story about it every year. And it's like, who's the guy that comes in no matter what? I don't think he's that guy because he can't really play inside. And there's not, I don't see like a guy on this roster, like a Brandon Bowen who can play tackle and guard and you feel good about it. So I don't think it's that way. I think it's going to be more like straight backups. But I I think this is an important spring and summer in terms of Ohio State getting depth on the line because they had pretty good depth last year. Um, There were times where Munford had to go out or where Bowen had to go out and like Josh Alaby could play before he got hurt and... Nick Petit Frere came in and played a lot against Northwestern and I thought had a decent game there. And uh, you had Harry Miller waiting, who I think you could have felt pretty good about as a freshman. I don't know if you can feel quite as good about the depth this year. I think you can assume Parrish Johnson will be pretty good, but outside of him and DeWan Jones, who we're not sure if he's ready yet, that doesn't. There's like guys like Max Ray and Ryan Jacoby and, and, and then a bunch of freshmen who I don't think any of them are ready to play, maybe outside of Luke Whipler. Luke Whipler is an interior lineman. So the, the depth here is what not What about great. Gavin Cup though? Cup's interesting. I wonder if he'll stick around because uh, I believe he's going into his fifth year. I have to assume that he's on pace to graduate. And it's just a matter of does he think he can go somewhere as a grad transfer and start? Like we saw some guy, I think like Kyle Trout did that, stuck around and then and then went on. We're not Kyle Trout. I get Kyle Trout and uh, Brady Taylor mixed up a lot. One of, those, one, of, one of those guys left as a grad transfer after sticking it out a little bit. I think Gavin Cup might be on that path. Because I just don't see a scenario like, why would you want to stay here and be a backup if you think you can graduate and go play somewhere as a fifth-year starter? Yeah, well, some people uh, just love Ohio State, yeah. but I, That's I true. Do. Some people love being Buckeyes. I guess it's, it's not unheard of, certainly. Um, uh, but, like, to me, he like the idea of transfer and go somewhere else um, so that you can 
play immediately might not be as valuable to him as being like the most versatile backup on this offensive line who could step in and, and like, cause I think you have a very interesting situation here at, at center and guard bill. And, you know, I'm sorry, I'm encroaching on your territory and I, I hope Certainly. you're not getting angry, but like if something were to happen to Josh Myers, and I think we both assume that Harry Miller um, slides over to center cause he's the center yep. of the future. Um, and then at that point, does Matthew Jones take over at left guard or does, uh, Gavin Cup, who's like a senior who everybody says has paid his dues and put his time into the program. And, you know, I don't think we either of us list him or think he's a starter, but we also know that he probably knows this offense better than anybody on the team. So, like, to me, like, I think that, like, his presence on this line, um, even if there isn't a universal universal six man like you just mentioned, because I don't think Cup can play tackle, I do think that he is a very interesting candidate for all three interior spots if, if they get into hot water there. Yeah, he might be the he might be the best guy that's suited for that, and that makes him that makes him pretty valuable for Ohio State, and and I think they would maybe prefer to keep him because of that. I do think you'll see you'll you'll see some guys maybe on the bottom bottom rung of these positions maybe look at some transfer options once spring is over because they do need to get down to eighty five, and and they're a little heavy here, but I think the starters are really good. Potentially, so I was doing a radio show the other day, and I said I, I think if if everything everyone stays healthy and everyone develops the way you think they are, that this could be the best offensive line in the country because LSU and, and Clemson, I think each are replacing four starters. And I don't know what everybody else has, but this is a pretty damn good group, at least on paper, if, if they are yeah, healthy. I mean, is 17 offensive linemen? Is 17 scholarship offensive linemen the right number? I think you'd like much? to be at – I think you want to be at 15 at least. I think 15, 16 is probably the sweet spot. 17 might be one too many. But I also think if you if you're going to be heavy at a position, you might want to be heavy here um, for depth, for practice, like all that stuff. Um, they're carrying five five tight ends. That seems like a lot. And then receiver, they have eleven, which is probably a decent number. Maybe yeah, maybe they are a little heavy. They're a little heavy at offensive line. I think they're a little heavy in the secondary too. We'll talk about that next week. So, all right, that's what we think of the offense. Anything else you want to add? Uh, somebody, uh, the best question we got in regards to the offense was, do you think it will be sexy? Oh, man. Well, who do you think had the sexiest offense in college football last year? LSU? LSU, yeah. No, Oklahoma is sexy to watch. When, it, when Oklahoma's, yeah, when Oklahoma Oklahoma is too. revving, like when they were playing, um, the one Oklahoma game I remember distinctly watching last year was the Houston game at the beginning of the year, like the first week of the season. And the way that that offense was running was pretty sexy. Yeah, I think I think Ohio State can be sexy this year on offense. Was Ohio State sexy last year? Not quite. Not quite. Well, I guess it depends on what you're into. If you're into a team that <laughs> if you're into a team that runs the ball a lot, then yes. And I'm into that. So I found them to be quite sexy last year. But I think it's just a matter of like what I you're think, what, yeah, I think like to what, the casual fan, you know. they probably weren't. But I like you get guards running out on the edge and, and your smash mouth stuff. I like yeah, that's my that's my brand of football. I like that. Yeah, I noticed that we uh, have some competition, other podcasts going up about the offense um, right now. So I think we should just shut up and get it up as soon as possible because we want to be in the battle. You know what I mean? All right, let's get into the battle, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week when we break down the defense.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.